0: Before he became a horror author in his own right, he grew up watching his parents working away quietly in their respective offices. Their dinner table conversations were dominated by talks of writing, novels, and publishing. Living in such an environment, it was natural that he would also grow an interest in writing, devoting at least two hours to the task each day since the age of 11. He started duplicating his parents, writing a short story most days. About this, he would later say, I just thought that was what you were meant to do. I thought you were meant to sit by yourself in a room and make up a bunch of stuff. Then one day someone would pay you for it. And weirdly, that's what happened. Welcome to House of Words, a podcast about writers, structures, and haunted items. I'm your host, Jason Nemo Harden, and on this episode, the 1st of 2023, we explore the origins and writing routine of Joe Hill and his debut novel, The Heart-Shaped Box. Quote, Terror is the desire to save your own ass, but horror is rooted in sympathy. End quote. Joseph Hillstrom King was born on June 4th, 1972, to writers Tabitha Jane King and Stephen King. His birth came a year before his father had his debut novel, Carrie accepted for publishing and his career skyrocketed. Until 1975... The family lived in various places, including Boulder, Colorado, before eventually settling down in Bangor, the third largest city in Maine. It was here that Joe would spend his formative years. With his dad being a storyteller who took delight in telling stories, the family would sit in a circle and read from a book, passing it around in the circle so all could read a section of it. It sounds very 19th century, but it's all true. Hill would later say in an interview, The seeds of horror would be planted early. Artistically inclined, his parents never told young Joe what books he could read or what movies he could watch. He can remember that when he was 11 or 12 years old and his parents asked him what he wanted to do for his birthday, he told them he wanted to have all his friends over and watch the George A. Romero zombie movie classic, Dawn of the Dead. There he and his friends sat, watching the very graphic movie. He had been desensitized to the shock of it after numerous viewings, but his friends began to trickle out of the room one by one. Only a few boys remained. With their faces pale and sweat dripping down their face, one of them finally said, I don't think we should be watching this. Imagination and the development of fantasy were at the forefront in the King household and without restriction or censorship. Joe and his younger brother Owen, who would also grow up and become a writer in his own right, grew up riffing on each other's fantasies with what they called The Writing Game. The Writing Game was a literary version of Tag, with one brother writing for a few minutes then passing the story on to the other so he could continue the tale. As grown-ups, the brothers would collaborate on a few screenplays after college, but Owen and Joe both say that they have little influence on each other's fiction. While Owen made a conscious decision to build a career around not writing genre fiction, Joe was attracted to it from early on and would make it his passion. Being the eldest son of Stephen King, he could have had it another and arguably easier way. But he wanted to make his own way something which soon proved to be more difficult than expected. The cloud of being the son of the King of Horror proved to be somewhat of a curse in his early years. By age 12, he had been writing for a while when he decided to submit an essay to the Bangor Daily News. It was accepted and the youngster was elated and pumped. He felt on the verge of major celebrity. Unfortunately, his excitement about the piece only lasted right up until the day the piece was published. When he read it in the paper, he realized for the first time that it was full of trite ideas and windy writing. It didn't help at all that at the end of the piece, the newspaper had added a postscript that read, Joseph is the son of best-selling novelist Stephen King. He understood immediately. That was the reason they published the piece, and not because his writing was particularly good. Not long thereafter, he began to think that he should write under a different name. He toyed with several names, including J. Stevenson, which was a pun on J. Steven's son, before eventually settling on Joe Hill. By the time he finished elementary school, he had authored several full-length books, At about age 16 years old, he took on the task of writing a book as a summer project. Every day after school, he and his father would sit together and edit five pages of his writing. Then they would talk about the changes made. In this way, he learned the importance of rewriting. After high school, he enrolled at Vassal College, from where he graduated in 1995. Thereafter, he moved to New Hampshire, where he started writing full-time at age 24, financially supported by his parents. His early efforts were met with little success. I got a lot of written personal rejections, he said. They'd all say we really like this on a technical level, but I don't think they have an interior life. Those stories didn't excite them, and they didn't excite me, either. The first full-length work he submitted for publication under his pseudonym was what he referred to as an epic fantasy novel. But... It was a fantasy novel that didn't conform to established rules of the genre. He envisioned it as a J.R.R. R. Tolkien-type novel, but written with the values of a John Irving novel. It wouldn't have a quest or dragons, it would be about family and raising children, but it would be set in a fantasy world. When it was turned down everywhere, he toyed with the idea of submitting it under his real name. He was genuinely pleased with the book and wanted to see it published. After that, he said, maybe there was some feeling like, uh, you know, maybe you should. But I actually kind of wound up feeling like the pen name had done its job. If it wasn't good enough to get accepted on its own merits, then that was a healthy thing. For years, after his epic novel was rejected, Hill kept the fantasy genre at arm's length, until he rediscovered a story that reminded him of the many uses to which fantasy could be put, The Jewbird. By Bernard Malamud. In this story, a skinny black crow settles in the family's kitchen, cawing, gvault a Pogrom, a comic and ultimately dark treatment of anti Semitism. The story, which has been called an homage of sorts to the Raven by Edgar Allan Poe, undid him. Why, he wondered, should his storytelling be straitjacketed by realism? So, Joe began writing and selling strange short stories to small literary and genre magazines, which were later collected in his short story collection, 20th Century Ghosts. He was at this point 33 years old. For him, making a mashup of his identity conferred benefits not unlike those that came with the mashing up of genres. I liked crime stories, suspense stories, fantasy stories, and I felt like if I wrote as Joseph King I might not want to write genre fiction, but if I wrote as Joe Hill, I could write whatever I wanted. So that's what I did. I had ten years to write and not have the pressure of being a famous guy's kid." It's quite common to enter a library and find yourself in conversation with the dead. The best minds of generations long gone crowd every bookshelf. They wait there to be noticed, to be addressed, and to reply in turn. In the library, the dead meet the living on collegial terms as a matter of course, every day." End quote. Heart-Shaped Box is indeed a genre fiction a mainstream horror novel that Hill admits follows closely in the path of work that has come before him. The novel is firmly rooted in the haunted house story and progresses into the realm of possession. In it, Jude Coyne, a dissipated rock musician, decides to add one more treasure to his collection of morbid memorabilia, a ghost for sale at an online auction site, who arrives as ordered. He usually begins a story with a high concept because he feels that an interesting, quirky concept is glue, something that will keep the reader reading for a while. But after that initial concept has been established, he feels that he can carry it further with the most important element in his opinion, character. So he builds his stories around characters with interesting inner lives, interesting histories, and odd compulsions, then attempts to figure out who these people are. Once he has a firm grasp on who they are, he feels confident that he'll be able to plop them into any situation and he can basically sit back and watch them fight their way out. Like his father, he allows the story to unfold rather than dictate and pre-plan too much ahead of time. Despite seeing himself as a genre writer, the genre being thriller, he feels that opposed to many authors who work from plot, he works from character. When he is working on a story, the first draft is for him, and he throws a lot of stuff on the page. He writes whole novellas on the backstories of various characters, throwing them in various scenarios simply to see how they'll react, giving himself a chance to know them better. Every draft after that initial, very fleshed-out first draft is for and with the reader in mind. It is then he figures out what the reader needs in order to keep turning the page and provide them with all the information needed. So despite having written much more about the characters than the readers will ever know, he carefully edits out pieces of information that he deems unnecessary. And though the final product may seem very structured, structure is something that comes after the fact. In the first draft, he says, the book is a mess. There are scenes that are out of order and scenes that don't matter, scenes that will ultimately be left on the cutting room floor. There is material that somewhat works to begin with, scenes that start off well but end badly, as well as scenes that begin badly but end up working well. In approximately three to seven drafts, things take more shape and ultimately, he hopes, that every paragraph feels like it's adding up to the whole in some meaningful way. Joe found his agent, Mickey Choate, by straightforward query, believe it or not. Choate was his agent for eight years before Joe finally told him who his dad was. And when he finally sold Heart-Shaped Box to a major U.S. publisher, he thought he would probably be outed like his father had been with his Richard Bachman pseudonym. So after the contract was negotiated, he called his editor, Jennifer Brell, and told her his full name and who his father was. Brill agreed that they would publish the book under his pseudonym and play down the family angle as much as possible. In the end, however, there wasn't much she could do. I had pretty much run to the end of my rope around that time, he would later say. I had done an appearance in England and people kind of noticed a little bit of a family resemblance. There started to be some muttering going around. It would have been nice if the book could have come out and been out for a while but it just didn't work out that way. When it comes to his writing routine, he has quite a structured daily routine. He tries to write in the neighborhood of 1,500 words a day, working longhand in an oversized national brand account notebook. If it goes badly, He'll accept 1,000 and hope for a better number the following day. He won't do 6 hours religiously every day, but he does set goals for himself. Sometimes that is 10 pages a day. He always starts off in the morning, so if he gets those 10 pages down in 2 hours, great. If it takes him 6 hours, that's okay. If it takes him 8 hours, he'll do it, though he tries to avoid working for that long as he feels there's a fall-off point by pushing himself so far. He does work on the weekends as he doesn't like to waste a day trying to get back to speed after taking a day off. Another reason he writes every day is because he doesn't feel centered and like himself until he's got his work out of the way. When he's done writing for the day, which is usually around 1 or 2 p.m., he'll have a salad and read 40 pages of the current book he's reading. The afternoon is for office chores and email. Sometimes he'll write a snail mail to a friend. At some point, he'll also listen to a chapter of an audiobook. Over the course of the day, he'll have four cups of tea, three black, no cream, no sugar. The last cup of the day is green tea with some honey and lemon. He'll watch some show later in the evening and try to hit the sack around 10 p.m. like, quote, an old person. On his own account, It's nowhere very exciting or like an author living on the edge, but it's the quiet habit that seems to suit him perfectly, something his productivity certainly can account for. Concerning his office, he said, One time I wrote this comic where a kid uses an impossible key to unlock his head. Inside his head, there's a secret world filled with dinosaurs and Legos and space invaders and so on. It's a mindscape crowded with the stuff he loves and obsesses over. My office is kind of the same way for me, a rough approximation of what's in my head given physical form. The walls are covered in book covers and comic book art. There are framed poems by Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore flanking the stairwell. There's a bookshelf called The Shelf of Ten and on it are the next ten books I'm going to read in the order I want to read them. There's another shelf for all the books written by my dad and mom and brother. There's a door built by a sculptor named Israel Skelton called the Ghost Door, based on something from the comic Lock and Key. Now the psychic center of the room is the desk against the western-facing wall where he has written tens of thousands of pages. He's always had a tendency to drift off into the thoughts and ideas in his head, calling himself the kind of guy who would miss the door and walk into the window next to it on account of being so much in his own head. Somehow this makes it easier for him to get sentences down and figure out how to solve problems when they arrive. He has never found an environment where he wasn't able to write. He's not saying that what he's writing under any condition will be good writing, but he's definitely having fun while writing which makes it easy. He finds that it's important that everything in the story matters and that all the pieces fit tightly together, which he believes a writer gets to through a slow, somewhat arduous process of honing and sharpening and revising, and being ruthless and brutal with yourself about what is needed and not needed. Furthermore, he feels one has to make a vital decision to differentiate between what you as the author love about a story and what the reader will love and having the strength to remove passages that the author loves, but that are not necessary for the reader. He has stated that he has thought about writing stories that are outside of horror fiction, but one thing he is unwilling to abandon is the element of suspense. This element, the ticking time bomb beneath the desk, is what he believes keeps the reader turning the page. So, while he does think he could write something that was not supernatural, he does not think he could write something that was without tension. Joe Hill has published four novels and written the very successful comic book series Lock and Key in addition to more than three dozen short stories, two of which have been turned into full features. He has won awards, including Bram Stoker Awards, British Fantasy Awards, and an Eisner Award. Like several writers, he likes to keep his private life private. He has told that he lives in a remote part of New Hampshire, not Maine like has been speculated since he grew up in Bangor, Maine. He works from home, where, in his office, he keeps files full of letters that mark his long literary apprenticeship, basically meaning stacks and stacks of rejections. He enjoys riding his motorcycle, which he calls very cheap therapy, and finally, If he had to choose one over the other, he would give up writing for reading in a heartbeat. As usual, I will leave you with one final quote from the man who wanted to stand on his own. You need to be able to sit there for six hours a day and at the end of the day be able to walk away and let it go you have to have a kind of blissful acceptance that you might spend two months writing a hundred pages and then throw the whole thing away in a single day. In the book I'm working on now, there's this one part that's about 180 pages long about the bad guy. And I rewrote it about three times and thought about it very carefully. And I think it's a really good piece of work and decided about a month ago to slash the whole thing. End quote. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and will spread the word about the podcast. Once again, I have been your host, Jason Nemour Hardin. We here at House of Words ask that you please consider helping to make this show easier to produce and more frequent by contributing on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash house of words or paypal.me slash house of words podcast. Alternatively, you can subscribe and encourage others to subscribe to our YouTube page, House of Words Podcast. Every little bit helps more than you might think. As a final closing, I'd like to thank you all for the year 2022. It's been a wonderful ride, and I hope you've all had a wonderful holiday season. Furthermore, I'm looking forward to 2023, and I hope that you will continue with us on this journey to the world of literature here at House of Words. Until next time, keep turning those pages. House of Words is written and produced by Crystal M. Sanchez. Narrated and written by me, Jason Nemoor Harden. And music by Creature Nine and Wood. All rights and ownership belong to Crystal M. Sanchez and Jason Nemoor Harden.